Hello and welcome to the podcast, Enemies from War to Wisdom. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking the often confusing and painful issues that surround human hostilities. In this way, we hope to open the door to greater curiosity, dialogue, and discovery between people who are poised to be enemies, those who are opposed to each other or have been hurt and rejected by each other. Our goal is to help us all enter into the wisdom that prevents chronic conflict from leading to alienation, fragmentation, or war. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist who is the director of Emma Troop, an experimental theater laboratory in New York City. And I'm here with co-host Polly Young-Eisendratt. She is an author, speaker, psychologist, and psychoanalyst. While we come to these topics from each our own perspectives, Polly and I bring insight from our own lifelong dedicated practices of Buddhism that inform everything we do and think. We hope you find our conversation useful and that you will join us again and again. And now the podcast. Wisdom. In our program today, Polly and I are going to be talking about what emotions are and how the dangerous cycle of humiliation and rage, which we were talking about in our earlier podcasts, get going between individuals and groups in a way that leads to war and destruction and prevents resolving conflicts. We'll talk especially about the two great categories of human emotions, primary emotions, that which we are born with, and secondary emotions, that which develops to allow us to compare and protect ourselves in human groups, especially our families and close others. And I'm going to begin now to ask Polly to talk to us about human emotions and how they differ from feelings. Thanks, Eleanor. Yes, emotions and feelings are often confused in people's understanding of themselves. And I think this is one of the reasons why sometimes we find it very difficult to actually work with what we would call our feelings in keeping open our minds in a conflict or in a situation where we feel threatened. So I'm going to start by talking about emotion as a category, human emotion, and then I will talk about feeling, and uh, then we will gradually build some sense of how people can relate to both their own emotions and their feelings and what those evoke uh, when they're in conflict. So first in regard to human emotions, when the human infant is born, it is already, and actually even before it's born, when it's in utero, it is already hardwired, or let's say even designed for interaction, for communication and interaction, even though it doesn't have a language or any sort of cultural system. So emotions are motivational systems for interaction with others. And when the infant is born, it's immediately in communication with mother or other caregivers, or even with a twin. There'll be interaction that is emotional. And if you look at videos of newborn infants uh, looking into the face of the mother, you find that the infant is looking for certain kinds of responses in the mother and evoking certain responses that then the infant recognizes. 
it's kind of like the scene in the movie Jerry Maguire where Cuba Gooding is in the bathroom with Tom Cruise and I think the, the line is kind of around show me the money but Cuba Gooding says or one of them says I need your help and the other one says well help me so I can help you and that actually is the kind of interaction that's going on between the infant and the mother. The infant is saying help me and I will help you stay connected. So I will cheer you up. I will be interested in you. I will interact with you, mom, because I need you to look like you're alive so you can interact with me. And that system of interaction, the dependency that the infant has on the mother, the infant is dependent on the mother to make decisions, to think for it, to plan for it, to do everything really pretty much for it. And the mother, gets those communications about what the mother should be doing from the infant. So that interactional system is set up from birth and it depends on these human emotions which are built in. Now, there's been a lot of study of human emotion in these last 25 to 30 years. In fact, when I went to graduate school, there was some understanding of what I'm going to talk about today, but not nearly as much understanding as we have now. And that's largely because of neuroscience, neurobiology, because we now understand the limbic system in the brain and how it's organized and to some extent what it does. And it's very important in relation to the human emotions. And so we know now that human infants are born with what we call the primary emotions. Researchers sort them out into somewhat different categories because there are not sort of sharp distinctions between the emotions. And you might have noticed that in your own experience. When you feel sort of irritable, it's not clear whether you're feeling, let's say, angry, annoyed, sad, or sometimes even anxious or cold because the emotions are body sensations. And then they get sorted into categories and then they get connected to meanings and so on. So the primary emotions, I like the sorting of them into five categories, and there are a number of researchers who sort them this way. And those categories would be joy and curiosity, sadness, fear, and disgust. And so joy and curiosity are expansive emotions. They cause us to open up and look around. And fear and sadness and disgust are contractive emotions they caused us to pull back and kind of shut down. So you notice right away that the way that we're counting them, there are three of these negative or contractive emotions and two of these positive or expansive emotions. And you'll see that in all the studies of human emotions and all the different sortings of them, because you can sort them into all sorts of like a hundred and some categories if you want to slice and dice them, there are always more negative or contractive emotions than there are positive or expansive emotions. So just to note that human beings are more negatively motivated mm -hmm. than positively motivated. There's a lot to say about that, but I want to sort of skip that right now and come back to it. And in order to say that human infants are born with these primary emotions, hardwired right in there, but then as the human infant develops, and of course it's developing in relationships, the self is interactive, interactive process with others, 
as it develops in the case of ordinary, normal, regular development, some other emotions just kick in between 18 months and two years of age. Those are called the secondary emotions or the self-conscious emotions or the social emotions. Those emotions organize and motivate us to compare and contrast ourselves with others in groups and in relationships, and they motivate us to protect ourselves from certain sorts of conditions. In that period of time between about 18 months and two years, the human infant, or now developing toddler, begins to experience itself as inside of the body and others outside of the body. And so there begins to be much more of a sense of a division between my body and everything else, and therefore a need to protect my body in relation to everything else. So these self-conscious secondary emotions, I will simply name them and we'll come back to them later. They are jealousy and envy, shame and guilt, self-pity, embarrassment, pride, self-awareness, you could say, or self-consciousness itself. And so these organizers of our self-states are also primarily negative and contractive. You notice that the only one in that list that sounds like it could be positive is pride. That sounds expansive and positive, but, but shame and envy and, and guilt and embarrassment and jealousy, these are all, again, negative or contractive emotions. So our organization of the human personality, these are universal organizers, no matter what the culture is or what the language is. These secondary emotions come into being in the 18 to 20 months, 24 months, and at the time that we tend to call uh, the terrible twos or the I, me, mine period of development. And they are felt very explicitly as I am in here and everything else is out there. So those motivational systems, the self-conscious emotions, play a very big role when it comes to conflict and when it comes to how we feel about others. But then to move from the emotions to our feelings, to what we call our feelings, just to get the vocabulary clear before we go into talking about how these work in conflict and in relation to making enemies. What we call our feelings are the individual interpretation of these emotional states. You know, cultures, language, individuals themselves begin to interpret and put language to and stories with these various emotional states. The expansive, the contractive, and then the self-conscious emotions. And these stories are these interpretations are often organized around what I would call preferences. In other words, we all actually have some desire, let's say, to produce pleasurable states in our lives and to get away from unpleasurable or painful states. And so we organize our emotional life around our ideals, our opinions, our preferences, what we like, what we don't like, and our judgments. And so then we tend to call those our feelings. You know, like I don't feel like doing the dishes today is really not a statement about emotions, but it probably goes back to emotions as a motivational state. And actually 
what may be going on when I say I don't feel like doing the dishes today, I might be comparing myself to somebody else that I feel or I experience as having done the dishes fewer times than I've done them. And so now I'm actually feeling jealous of that other person's freedom to not do the dishes. But we'll state that as a feeling statement when it's really a preference statement. And we then tend to confuse it with the emotion. And so we tend to say, well, how do you know you don't want to do the dishes? Well, it's coming from my guts. I mean, I can tell in my guts that I don't want to do the dishes. And that's a body statement. So all of this gets kind of confused and sort of mixed together in our experiences as humans. And then when we try to put it all into language, it's even more confusing because we're not quite aware that emotions are both expressions of something that's going on. In other words, we're motivated by our joys to feel open-hearted. We're motivated by our curiosity to investigate things. We're motivated by our sadness to shut down and pull back. And those are motivational states. And yet when we express them and experience them, they're also evoking something from the other. So emotions are always communicative and they're always coming across through our communications, whether we're expressing them in our gestures, in our facial expressions, or in implications of our language. Often we're not even knowing that we're expressing, say for example, something like contempt as we've expressed it before. Maybe we're expressing some contempt of another because we feel envy but the other is actually experiencing that contempt and that's evoking something from the other person. So again, to try to follow this long train that I'm expressing, emotions are built in, their body sensations, their motivational systems. Feelings are our interpretations of these based on our language, our culture, our families, etc. But when we are actually experiencing and expressing emotions and Often we're expressing them in terms of some language and so on that gets, that's like a narrative that gets connected. We're also evoking something from others. So it's not as though we can communicate or express ourselves in ways that if we're feeling something strongly, if we're having emotional experience, we can't hide these things, even if we don't talk about them, because they're so communicative and we interact around them. I'd like to just take a moment, if I may, to highlight what you talked about in terms of the human being and that we're far more negative than we're positive and that it's kind of overwhelming for us to really fully realize that. And when you look at what's happening in the public arena right now where negativity is hitting us at so many different levels that I think we're all kind of a little bit in a state of shock. And how do we kind of reclaim the more expansive emotions to help us deal with all of these critical issues that are facing us right now. Helping people also just to, you know, understand again how to distinguish the force of all this negativity. So Polly, help us. Help us so that we can help each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is like the scene in Jerry Maguire, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's not really easy to talk about, you know, because there is great complexity here. And I mean, our hope is that we're going to bring more oxygen to the subject. If you think about what does it take to change anything, well, first you have to get a bit clear 
about what's actually going on before you can change it. Right. So in regard to, let's say, the negative valence of human emotions, there is something that I think really needs to be first understood clearly, and then we can talk about how can we step towards something that's more expansive or positive, if you want to think about it that way. It seems like the human being is designed to notice what's wrong. And most of us have noticed that in our experience. You know, when you walk into a room or when you look at yourself in the mirror or when you wake up in the morning or many situations where you're just becoming aware of something, what your mind will go to is what's missing, what's wrong, what's not working well, what needs to be changed. And if you know that that is a part of the design feature of the human personality, you might not take it so seriously. You might realize that no matter how much you focus on what's wrong, you're not going to be able to perfect yourself or the world. This is a completely imperfect world that we're in. From a Buddhist perspective, it's called samsara, which is the wheel of life and death. It's a mix of life and death. It cannot be perfected. You yourself are a part of it, and you cannot be perfected. So you're always going to do things wrong, make mistakes, so are others. And so it's kind of interesting, first of all, just to remember that, and secondly, to remember that the human personality is designed to experience what's wrong, what's missing, what is uncomfortable, what doesn't work, instead of right. what's right, what's there, what does work, etc. So our motivational system is designed to experience the contractive, negative, what's missing before it experiences other things. So just to start with that. And so then when we come into something like the public arena or the political environment that we're in right now. With so much humiliation and rage, I mean that, you know, we're just every day we're just hearing more and more. uh, We're having more direct experience of humiliation and rage. Yes, and as we mentioned in earlier programs, humiliation, which is the exposure of another's weakness, always produces rage on the part of the other. So, you know, again, human emotions evoke things. They're not just expressing, you could say, well, I'm just expressing my feelings. Oh, no, you're not. You're evoking something too. And so why not look more clearly at what you are evoking? Is that what you want to evoke? So first step is when we look out at the human situation, it looks really messed up. And second step, do we want to expose others' weaknesses in order to try to make things better? Is that going to produce the direction that we're looking for? It's unlikely that exposing anybody's weakness is really going to go towards resolution or a solution. And don't you think that it's helpful to understand that dysfunctional emotions are, there's violence in there. There's violence and there's destruction in that. I mean, it's not physical, it's emotional. I would say it's helpful to understand that the human being is a certain species. It's not just an anything species. It's a certain species that is hardwired for negative experiences. 
So first off, if you know that you're going to err on the side of being critical, sounding critical, being negative about yourself, negative about others, you might then take a step back and see if there's something else going on as well. Now, the most important thing at this moment, I think, is to recognize that some of these negative emotions that, like you talked about, destructive emotions, like the desire to shame somebody else, that's a very destructive because it produces rage. It's a very destructive impulse. So if you actually are going to express in this powerful and public way, you're going to talk about somebody else's failures and weaknesses, what you are evoking is going to be destructive. It is not going to be constructive. And if you know that, then you might begin to work with your own words and to wonder if the words could actually move a little bit away from the emotions and even your feelings, your feelings being the interpretation of those emotions, and maybe a little bit more towards something that what you might call your intentions. Like your intentions might be to make a space for a public dialogue or open up a conversation. And if those are your intentions, then you'd be best off not leading with humiliating somebody else. Because even if you think you're just expressing your opinions, you're expressing your feelings, you are also evoking something. And that's where I think the core of an understanding about human emotions and their negativity and human emotions as a communicative system, the core of that understanding is towards do you want to express something be just because you're motivated and you feel it? Do you want to express it? Because if you do, it will evoke something. And it's not just a nothing burger. You can't just say it and then nothing happens. So when you express something like humiliation, and you know, in our next program, we're gonna come back to these self-conscious feelings like shame and envy and so on. These are powerful feelings that humans have in groups. And when they are expressed, they evoke. And so there's no freebie on this. And what we see in the public domain right now is somebody is humiliating somebody else. By that, I mean they're expressing something about somebody else's weaknesses, exposing those weaknesses, and then evoking rage. And then the enraged other then attempts to humiliate the other person back again. So it's a cycle of humiliation and rage that will lead to war or destruction if it is uninterrupted because that's a motivational system and it's a human motivational system and we're hardwired this way. We're a very violent species and we've been doing this for a long time and it's, it's not by any means outside of our reach right now to create war. There was so much awareness in what you just said. And for all of us, we're searching to find, you know, new ways to deal with these intense negative emotions and to recognize just how impossible it is to navigate when you're in it. I've been thinking a lot about trying to just come up with new ways to communicate in the face of this challenge where there's so much righteousness that's being thrown at us and just a kind of closed system and nowhere to go. So those of us who are trying to be more mindful and more aware 
and more compassionate and more willing to take on these hard questions. I came across something that Buckminster Fuller said a long time ago, which really fascinated me. And he was talking about discovering a new intelligence. And he said, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. You change something by building a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that just feels very encouraging Mm -hmm. and hopeful. And the other thing is when Einstein talked about you can't solve a problem by the same source that created the problem. What the Buckminster Fuller um, quote, I think is absolutely correct. If we continue in the way that we are right now in our public arena, let's say, which is what I would call just a big food fight of one side humiliating the other, the other side becoming enraged and humiliating the other. And then also something that I mentioned in an earlier program, this media intensification of all of this humiliation and especially a humiliation of the President of the United States, that if you are always pointing to and trying to expose weaknesses, failures, mistakes, what you will inevitably evoke is rage, not only from that person, but from that person's tribe, from the people who believe in the President of the United States, become enraged at the constant focus on his mistakes, his failures, his weaknesses. And so there is no model in that approach. It is a prescription for embattlement leading to potentially fragmentation and war. And so the only solution is to stop doing that and to begin to focus on intentions. And if there is an intention to open up a dialogue, we will need a new model. And that model, I think, is what you and I are talking about in terms of real dialogue or mindful dialogue, to create a space in which the emotions are not, particularly the negative emotions, are not simply the driving forces, but the intention of decentering, stepping back, understanding one's own experience, just reflecting and feeling one's own feelings and emotions, but not discharging them, not using those motivations to say something or do something or throw something. And that actually is very, very possible for human beings to do that. We have this capacity to stop mid-sentence, to stop mid-action, and just not do the motivational system of humiliating the other, for example. And don't you think that it's also very, very helpful to drop into our hearts? Well, (laughs) I would say that's only helpful if you've cleared the space. Good point, good point. (laughs) I mean, some people would say they drop into their hearts and they find the desire to humiliate somebody, (laughs) you know. Oh, that that creates sadness. (laughs) As Solzhenitsyn said, half of your heart is pretty aggressive, you know, so you've got some goodness in your heart and you've also got some self-protection in your heart. 
And so you may drop into your heart and throw yeah. something, yeah. you know. So you want to drop into yeah. your heart yeah. when you've created a space to actually have something like the intention of meeting another on the ground of the other instead of protecting yourself. And I was, you know, coming from the assumption that when push comes to shove, goodness will triumph over negativity. But now after we've had this dialogue, (laughs) I realize that, you know, that negativity in the human being is something that is just so dominant. I mean, maybe even primitive kind of force in us. And each one of us in our own way has to find out how to recognize that in ourselves in order to begin the process of change and to cultivate the courage to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And let's say it's a primary, primary yeah, motivator. Yeah. Negativity is it's a very primary, primary yeah, motivator yeah, yeah. for all of us. So again, going back to Solzhenitsyn, the reason why half of your heart is this way is because you're homo sapien. Yeah. You're a violent species. Yeah, yeah. So half of your heart is devoted to protecting yourself, your family, your identity, and so on. And the other half of your heart might actually be a unifier, you know, might really want your species to go on existing, but you have to kind of clear it out a little bit because your primary response is going to be critical, negative, judgmental, contractive, because you're motivated that way. And some scientists say the reason why we have this overblown negativity is because that allows us to dominate others more quickly. In other words, one way that we have survived is to see what's wrong and try to address that before we see what's right. So we're a restless species. Well, we've just etched out the path to wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Polly, thank you so very much. This was really, really more than inspiring, just so informative and full of awareness. And thank you. So we'll continue this conversation in our next podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies for More to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.